Welcome to the We Earn Media Show, where each episode we chat with a media professional, like an editor or journalist, and we discuss what makes a great and not so great PR journalist relationship. With me is my co-host, Jackie Lambert. In today's episode, we have Carl Anthony, who is the managing editor of Automoblog. Automoblog is an automotive industry, technology, and lifestyle publication that helps readers understand more about cars and driving in general and all of the different trends impacting the auto industry. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. And, and Jackie, thank you for having me as well. Yeah, of course. Thank you. So tell us about your current role as managing editor of Automoblog and um, if you can, just give us a brief summary of your career as a journalist in general or your career in general, because I know you don't necessarily have a career, a long storied career in journalism, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah. So my my job with Automoblog as managing editor is overseeing our team of writers, uh, assigning content, helping them develop ideas, obviously doing the editing and getting everything ready for publishing and, you know, for posting on the site. But I also help oversee our social media uh, with our creative director. And it's really honestly, Britt and Jackie, it's a lot of managing relationships. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of phone calls. You're kind of the guy when you're the managing editor, you're kind of the guy just overseeing everything. And you're really responsible for leading the team to success. And so when I was in broadcasting school, um, I, I didn't go to journalism school per se, like traditional journalism, but, but for my radio and television broadcasting courses, we had news writing and we had copywriting. We had all those classes. But one of the things they don't tell you in school that if if you do become an editor, you don't spend as much time writing as you might think. Um, you actually spend more time, again, managing relationships and you spend more time uh, developing partnerships and Brit, meeting people like yourself. And how many times did we go back and forth over email and phone calls? So it's the day to day is is a, is a lot of stuff like that. And then taking a look at our higher higher level mission and our higher level mission for Automoblog is to be a trusted resource for either consumers who are shopping for an automobile so they come to our site, they're in the market, uh, they have a family, th th they're looking to have their questions answered about a specific make and model. We want to try to give them all of the information from the interior to the powertrain to the pricing. We want to try to give all that information to them ahead of time so that they can make a wise or more informed decision while they're shopping. So we want to make sure that we're serving them. And then at the same time, we want to make sure that we're serving our more, uh, our, our more core reader base, which are oftentimes what we would call gearheads. Uh, so these are people that work on cars. These are people that eat, sleep, and breathe cars. And these are readers of our site that uh, they're going to be with us no matter what. And we're very thankful to have them. So as an editor, my role is to really say, you know, what is, is our content satisfying that? Is our content helpful? Is our content engaging for our gearheads and for our enthusiasts? Is our content in, informative and, and interesting? And then, of course, for the readers who might be coming to us really looking for a car, are we answering? some of the key questions that we would have about whatever vehicle they're looking for, a truck, an SUV, and a car. So again, as editor, it's looking at kind of both of those things and going, okay, are we satisfying that? Are we being professional? Do we have high journalistic standards? Are we maintaining our journalistic ethics? And at the end of the day, are we being a trusted resource that people from all ends, whether they're enthusiasts or whether they're just casual shoppers, 
you know, looking for a new vehicle and they want to make sure they make the right choice and then they want to be done with it. They don't want to think about it anymore. You know, how are we helping best serve them? And then just as far as the work that I've done, I, I was in I was in commercial radio for a number of years. And then I started in the business, uh, the automotive business as a sales consultant. So at a dealership called Sioux Falls Ford in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I worked my way uh, up and through and was a manager at our sister store, which was Luxury Auto Mall of Sioux Falls. It was Cadillac, Mercedes, BMW, Sprinter store. From there, I moved to Detroit, which is where I've, I have lived now for the last six years. And I work more. I worked more directly for the manufacturers. Um, so I was a dealer trainer, worked with Ford, worked with Volvo, worked with Mercedes-Benz. And then was on the auto show circuit with FCA, uh, particularly Dodge, you know, Charger, Challenger were my cars on the auto show circuit and then have spent the last five years as part of Chevy's national truck team. So going around to state fairs, NASCAR races, trade shows and just helping consumers uh, kind of understand and answer questions for consumers about the three trucks in the in the Chevy lineup. So it's Colorado. Silverado HD and then the Silverado 1500. So I've gone around the auto industry like that, worked for a number of different manufacturers, all while helping to build Automoblog all at the same time over the course of the last five years. Yeah, that's kind of it. That's kind of me. Well, that was a really good rundown of your background. And I, I actually didn't know that you were um, that you had done a bit of broadcasting as well. So yeah. that's cool to know. Fun yeah. fact. Why don't we go ahead and jump into the story that we're going to be talking about today yeah. that you sent across around, well, it was headlined, the Automated Drive West VSI Labs going cross-county in autonomous car. Can you you tell us a little summary of what that story is all about for those listening? Yeah, absolutely. So VSI Labs is based in the Twin Cities in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to take their Ford Fusion test vehicle. So this is a test vehicle for uh, for a, a, for autonomous cars. So we hear a lot about autonomous cars and self-driving cars, but, but what they were doing is they, they were taking their test vehicle and they were traveling across country to an expo in California. And so this was just over the summer and there was some pretty important componentry in the car as far as autonomous driving goes. So there was a data speed, data speed is a company based right here in the Detroit area. There was one of their drive by wire control systems on on it and there was a nice array of uh, advanced GPS technology, high-end uh, precision LIDAR and high-end precision cameras. So these components that will eventually make their way into the autonomous car, uh, the autonomous car that would be sent to mass market, a lot of these uh, components and software, they were in this VSI Labs Ford Fusion, which is in that article there. that That's the cover photo. The basis of this drive was not to prove a point. And that's why I thought it was such a good story. So Caitlin Abel, who handles their marketing and communications, and then Sarah Sargent, uh, she's an electrical engineer, um, but she's one of the engineers on the VSI Labs team. And, you know, to say she just does one role, I, I mean, Caitlin and Sarah do a number of, of, of different roles. It's, it, it's a small company. Phil Magney, the, 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 the founder of the company, he has, I, I, think he, I think he has an excellent vision for developing autonomous cars on a realistic time frame. And what it takes as far as science and engineering in, in order to make sure that the end product is right. And so, 
Sarah and Caitlin, who I worked with specifically for this article, like I said, for VSI, they they wear many different hats and they have a very realistic and very um, genuine approach to to a, a, autonomous driving. And so kind of what happened, Britt and Jackie, is that there was for a time and admittedly with Automoblog, we got caught up in it, too. You know, autonomous cars are going to be here by 2020 or 2025 and, and, and everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be amazing. There was kind of this ramp up in the media. And then, and it's like I said, we did it too with Automoblog. We fell victim to it. Eventually, things kind of dropped off. And we started getting into the engineering and the product development behind this. And we went, whoa, wait a minute. This is going to take some time. There's a lot of edge cases. There's a lot of use cases that we need to evaluate. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of variables. So VSI Labs, what they wanted to do was they essentially wanted to take an autonomous car across country uh, and just see how it did on the average American road trip, uh, a, a road trip that, that you or I or anybody else would take. But they wanted to go through areas that would present some certain challenges. So driving cross country, you see a lot of rural roads. You see deserts. They went across the badlands of South Dakota, for example, um, they drove down and, you know, they, they drove down and, and, and through Wyoming and places like that. And so you see a lot of different terrain. You see a lot of different weather. Um, you do see a difference in temperature because in the middle of the summer, when you get out in the desert, you have high heat. So the systems that are on board the car, the autonomous systems, how do they react to that high heat, right? So it was basically a test to see how the systems worked and what they needed to do to adjust. So one of the good examples is that they were going along. And so the whole drive was not autonomous. So, so Sarah Sargent, uh, the engineer I mentioned, she's a safety driver. So, so they always had somebody at the controls of the car. And so periodically they would put it into autonomous mode, right? And so they were going along in autonomous mode and they came up behind an 18-wheeler. And what ended up happening was the draft from the 18-wheeler from the trailer actually started to knock the car off its intended path. Now, we, now we, as, we as human drivers, we don't think anything up because we have the wheel and we can adjust automatically. But it was enough of, you know, and, and I wish Sarah were here because she could give the, the mm -hmm. proper terminology, but let's just say that it confused the algorithm. And so the car was knocked off its intended path for autonomous, you know, its intended autonomous path. Now, if that happens out in the real world in a mass produced car, you know, that's, that's pretty substantial because how often does the average driver in the city or on the interstate pass an 18 wheeler? So this is what they were looking for when they did the drive. So they made a note of things like that and they said, okay, when we get back to Minneapolis, we're going to have to adjust that algorithm. When they were driving through the desert, you know, you get a lot of dust on the car, right? And so all of the equipment was in the trunk. A lot of the autonomous equipment was in the trunk and they were watching the temperature. And so the temperature kept rising. The temperature eventually got to be 100 degrees in the trunk. And so they were like, well, what's the threshold for these very high-end expensive computer systems? So they pull off to a rest stop. You know, they, they open up the trunk to try to cool it, but all the sand and the dust that had accumulated on their drive, you know, 100 miles through the desert, all fell into the trunk. So here they were trying to clean it off and everything. So this was one of those, like I said, they, they weren't really out to prove anything. They, they weren't out to make headlines to say, you know, we did an autonomous drive across country. 
they were really out to say, okay, where is the system going to work? Where is it not going to work? And what kind of obstacles are we going to run into along the way? Like, for example, you know, the computer components in the trunk getting over a hundred, you know, get, getting to be a hundred degrees. So that's why it was such a compelling story. They weren't after headlines, but they were after really the science and the testing and the engineering behind it. And Sarah, Sarah and Caitlin were at the electronic imaging uh, symposium in San Francisco a couple of weeks back. And so uh, they call it EI 2020 was the name of the conference. And so Sarah actually gave up or got up and gave a talk about their drive west. And so she talked a lot about what they had learned, you know, that it really was an exercise in engineering and good science. And so prior to them taking off and starting the drive from Minneapolis, that was where we worked with Caitlin, who was their marketing and communications person. That's where we worked with her to really get that story and to communicate that message. This is not that this is not a stunt. This is really in the interest of good science. And we're looking at little things. We're only autonomous a part of the time. And we're looking for these little things, these little edge cases that we need to tweak so that future autonomous cars can be better, safer, more effective and so on. That's cool. Yeah, they really put it to the test then. I <laughs> I can't imagine what that drive must have been like. So you mentioned in the article that you first met the VSI Labs team in May of 2018. at AutoSense. Yes. So is that when the team, Caitlin and Sarah, pitched the whole test ride? Is that when they pitched it to you, the whole whole story or the idea? So yeah, I I, I first met them in 2018. That story idea wouldn't come until a year later. So 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 the story of how I met VSI Labs is in at AutoSense 2018 here in Detroit, we're at the Michigan Science Center, and I'm I'm one of the, the hosts for the conference, so I do a lot of the interviews with the speakers and the attendees and the delegates, and it's just something I just absolutely love doing. Martin is the gentleman who runs the camera with me, and so Martin and I are running all over the conference, and we're getting interviews, and, and you know we're interviewing the sponsors and everything. And Phil Magny, who is the uh, founder and principal advisor for VSI Labs, I did not know him at the time, but he came up to me in 2018, and he said, hey, I I know you're busy, but I, I just want to introduce myself. And and so and, and so that was really it. So so it was just a it was a quick introduction. Over the course of the year, I kept up with them. I interacted with with Phil. Um, I featured some some quotes of his and some articles that we did. And so it was now fast forward a year later now to AutoSense Detroit 2019. Same thing, Michigan Science Center, right? And we're running all over back and forth and into the main exhibit space, walk Caitlin and Sarah. And I'm like, oh wow guys. Hey, how are you? And, and Phil comes in. And so, hey, it's, it's great to see you. It's wonderful to see you. And and so we're just small talking. Phil had said something, you know, I, I really wish that uh, I, I really wish you lived closer. I really wish you lived in Minneapolis. We've got this thing that we're doing. Um, we're going to be inviting some of the some of the Minneapolis based press. The Minneapolis Star Tribune was there because we're kicking off from our from our parking lot at our office where we're kicking off this automated drive west. And so they, they told it to me. Right. And I'm like, okay. I go, well, Phil, I'm sorry. I I can't be there for the kickoff, but I'll write a story on it anyway. And and they kind of did the whole overview. This is in the interest of good science. You know, so then I started connecting with Sarah and Caitlin on it. So we got through AutoSense and we got through those busy couple of days. And then we started kind of developing the story idea. Um, If memory serves me right, they started that drive in August 
August, and we we published a piece like late July, so right into the run-up. And then Alex Hartman, who handles our social media, Alex and Caitlin then actually worked together while the drive was going on. Because along the way, uh, Sarah and Ryan, her husband, were on the drive. So as as they were going along, they would post pictures along the way. They posted pictures of Mount Rushmore. You know, so they they had this cool kind of trip. You could follow the automated drive west. So after we published the article, Alex and Caitlin worked together between our two social media accounts, Automoblog and VSI Labs, to to help kind of just, you know, get the story out. And I think our readers got a kick out of it, you know, following their autonomous car all across the country out to California. But that was how the idea came around. It was just kind of like we we were rushing around AutoSense and it was like, hey, by the way, we're doing this thing. And and I'm like, oh, I want to be a part of that thing. I'd I'd love to write that story. So that's how the story came about. Do you, would you say you get pitched at conferences often then? Or is it generally just via email? Or how, how often do you think you get pitched at conferences versus email? You know, I I don't get pitched at conferences very often. That's probably because they don't always necessarily know that I'm a journalist. I try to, as, as, as managing editor, I try to really be in the background. I try not to lead with I'm an automotive journalist unless it's an appropriate setting. In the case of AutoSense with the conference, you know, I'm there representing Automoblog, but really first and foremost, I'm there representing AutoSense because I'm, I'm hosting, again, I'm hosting the conference. I'm, I'm one of the hosts for AutoSense TV. And so I think maybe, you know, people might see me first as, you know, a representative of the conference before they see mm-hmm. me as representative for Automoblog. I don't always readily identify myself as press. And, and even when I do, like when I go to auto shows as press, I don't ever get pitched stories. And if I do, you know, the interviews I have set up, they were pitched to me ahead of time, a few weeks or a month ahead of time in emails. So I don't really get pitched a lot at conferences. What does tend to happen, though, is that I'll hear somebody speak at a conference or I'll meet somebody and I'll go, you know what? Here's my business card. Let's talk. You know, can you? And it's usually it's usually an engineer who's speaking or it's somebody. So I'll say, can you give this card to your marketing and media relations team? I would love to follow up and do a story. And so that's kind of how we'll connect. It's usually more me approaching them at that point. But I would say, you know, honestly, Britt and Jackie, the most of the pitches we get is, is through email. That's cool. So you like find the story when you go, when you're at the conference. And yeah. I would imagine engineers might not, earning press might not be top of mind. So Right. It's, yeah. I think that with, autom- with automotive, there's almost a good story no matter where you look. I, I've nice. always, I, I've always encouraged other autom- automotive journalists to look at every brand in in, in equal eyes. And what I mean by that is to say that we all have our cars that we like, and we all have automakers that are incredibly exciting. Dodge is a great example. You know, everything's fast. Everything has a boatload of horsepower. Everything has cool wheels and big and, and big Brembo brakes. I mean, everything in, in wild colors, like, like everything is awesome. And it's a really cool story about American horsepower and holding that flag as the last of the muscle cars of, of a bygone era of the 1960s and the early 1970s when muscle cars dominated the American landscape and the baby boomers, our parents, ate them up in droves. And 
that doesn't mean that you should give them all of your time, attention, and favor. Because all of the stories that are behind a brand like that, there's equally as interesting stories behind a brand like Buick. Now, as a younger automotive journalist, you may view that as your grandfather's car, but cars of that nature also have incredible engineering. Uh, they, they also have, you know, uh, a chassis and suspension you know, things that are interesting. They, they have engine components that are interesting. They have a story behind their brand that, that is interesting. So to me, I would say, you know, if you're walking into an auto show, you know, maybe there's a particular automaker that you just don't care for. You know, you, th you think that their cars are boring. Oh, okay, fine. But I would encourage younger automotive journalists to really lose that notion and lose it quickly because behind every great brand, there's a story. There's probably a talented, ambitious PR and marketing person who wants to work with you um, and will provide you everything you need, all the assets you need from the photos to getting you connected to the right people in the company. Again, yes, there's automakers that obviously they're going to have a really cool story front and center, but there's other ones that, that aren't so obvious and they're still an interesting story. Like, you you know, you might think it's, it's, it's a mundane SUV or a small SUV, but, you know, there's a product development story behind it. There's an engineering story behind it. There's a marketing story behind it. So when I canvas an auto show, yeah, I'm always looking for the American muscle. I mean, come on, who is it? You know, but, but consider where the market is at, you know, that small sedans, you know, small sedans are still popular. Yes, SUVs are selling like hotcakes, but small sedans are still popular. Young people have expressed interest time and again in wanting to own young sedans. Nissan just did a study on this over the summer. A sedan that maybe necessarily you wouldn't drive as a journalist and you might think is boring to another person might be the best thing since sliced bread. And so our goal is to really, again, tell the story behind that. So when I go to a conference and, you know, Jackie, to your point, when I approach somebody, I'm usually doing it through a very neutral set of lenses. And literally what it is, is the good story. It's, wow, that's interesting. And I think our readers might want to hear about it. And, and that's really what I go. And that's really what I, I know that's not scientific, but I'm like, as a car guy, that's interesting, you know, or as a car consumer, that's interesting. And that's something I would want to know. I want to throw shade at a autonomous vehicle that sure. I had a run sure. in with the other sure. day. Um, and you probably, maybe you've written about this on Autoblog. If not, maybe I'm giving you a story idea, but I live in Gainesville, Florida. And just the other day, I saw these signs that said, um, warning slow autonomous vehicles mm -hmm. and I was like I don't know what that's about but I finally was driving behind one and I guess Gainesville now has these automated vehicles that pick people up I guess they're shuttles yep yep but they're they're so slow yeah. and it's really aggravating to be behind one in traffic and one just stopped and like didn't go for a while. I don't know if it like has some sort of sensor that the people who get on the shuttle need to sit down before it starts going again, but I totally honked my horn at it and it started driving. <laughs> but I'm just wondering, uh, that's kind of like, that's more commercial than consumer focused. Do you cover those kinds of topics too? Yeah, we do. And and that's a, that's a topic right now as far as what do you do with autonomous technology? So there's the autonomous car in the traditional sense, but are there applications elsewhere? And so you do see this with what's called first and last mile solutions. So in other words, I landed at the airport and I need to get to the hotel. And typically you would take a gasoline powered shuttle, right? But the idea is that could you have a battery powered shuttle that was autonomous do the same thing? 
again, first and last mile. So you're not going very far. Uh, think about like if you go to an amusement park, right? If you go to Disneyland uh, here in, in Michigan, you know, you always make the trek down to Cedar Point every year. So big, massive landscapes like that, if you wanted to get around a park, would you, I mean, is it plausible to think that they would get on an autonomous shuttle to go around the park? Um, if you work for a big company. Uh, and there's companies that are actively looking at that. Local Motors, LedRTech is is another one. There, there's numerous. Uh, Data Speed is actually doing, so NAIS, North American International Auto Show, is in June of this year. They are doing, uh, Jackie, the, the type of autonomous shuttle that you're talking about. So when all the journalists fly into Detroit for press days, June 9th and 10th into Detroit, the autonomous shuttles are going to take them from DTW to downtown Detroit. And that's a pretty daunting trip. I mean, you have to go. I, I don't know the route that they're doing, but I'm assuming they're going to go down Interstate 94 with that. There's going to be a safety driver on board. But I mean, that's a great way to demonstrate that technology for those journalists. So so that first and last mile solution stuff, it's just, it's other applications for autonomous technology versus an automobile. That's really where that comes from. And so I think a lot of cities, I don't know Gainesville specifically, but a lot of cities and states have signed on initiatives to say, okay, we are going to allow autonomous testing. So they allow it here in Michigan. Uh, you'll see the Argo and Ford cars if you drive downtown Michigan. A couple years back, you would have seen the autonomous Chevy Bolts that GM was doing. So some states have enacted legislation to say, you know, we are. Nevada is a big one. Nevada has done that, you know, to where they say, okay, we are going to allow testing of autonomous vehicles, full-on cars or otherwise in the case of shuttles. So Gainesville is probably doing something like that where they want to be seen as an innovator. They want to be seen on the cusp of technology. So as a community, they're getting behind it and embracing it. That would be my guess anyway. That sounds like Gainesville trying to seem like <laughs> they're trying to keep up with the times. Sure, sure. I love talking to you about this stuff, Carl, because it helps me come up with ideas. Just hearing you talk about this sparked so many ideas in my head around uh, the autonomous, you know, vehicle industry, and just how you can use that legislation information to create stories. Because I personally, as somebody who's interested in that, um, just as a consumer, um, I really want to know what other states and cities are testing these kind of things. Because I haven't come across it in Seattle, but I also I'm not looking that hard. Um, <laughs> So I, I'm just so curious and I, that's why I love talking to you because it's always, I always get to like, I, I think of so many ideas that could be really cool. I am curious to know when you're looking at your inbox and you're seeing all of these pitches that are coming at you, well, A, how often are you getting pitched? And B, I guess the next part of that question is what makes a pitch or even a subject line stand out to you to, that makes you want to open that email? So that's a really great question. Um, and I want to be careful how I preface this because I have a lot of respect for PR and marketing professionals. And Thank you. With, you're welcome. <laughs> with, without them, we cannot be effective. If the marketing and PR profession were to disappear, we would lose our foothold and our credibility with our readers. So I want to be very careful at how I 
preface this because we work with some awesome PR professionals. We work with some awesome marketing and communications professionals. Um, and those relationships we value highly. And some of them, some of them have moved from the professional setting to even, you know, who, who I would call at this point friends, you know, we're colleagues and, and friends. So, but as far as, as an editor, and I'll just speak for myself and I'll speak for our publication, what we do not like is generic subject line where I know, where I know that it's an automated email that I have received from a hundred different people. I understand, you know, that you were searching around the internet, researching whatever topic, and you came across our article or you came across our site. Classic. It's very classic. Whatever it is, it must be a template. And sometimes they don't even fill out the template because we have gotten emails that said, I was surfing around the internet looking for research on such and such. I came across your site, great work. But then it says, insert site here. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> if we get emails like that, we automatically delete them. We actually have um, a spam filter that actually sends a lot of that stuff just to the to the junk because I, because we just can't continue to deal with that. It interrupts our flow of business during the day. For the ones that get through, I just, I frankly never respond to them. You Wait, know, back up really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The subject line you said was um, they clearly like that kind of email. What What's an example subject line? What, like, what so, do you see commonly? Uh, category. Uh, let's collaborate. Sometimes it's just collab, C-O-L-L-A-B. Personally, I don't like being that flippant in business. So I, I would never use the word collab. Content ideas you're going to love. Top five ideas for your blog. Um, so it's stuff like that. And then it usually goes into generic, very articles. Or they say something to the effect of, we have some content ideas that, that you and your readers are going to love. But they don't allude as, as to what that is. And, and they don't give me any because it's an automated message and they all read in such a similar way I know that they're not reading my work I know that they're not reading the work of our site uh, the other one is quick question we see a lot of that for for whatever reason quick question and then there's there must be a series of automated emails that follow because like if I don't respond then you know another 48 hours later you get one and then it's usually like just want to try one last time I know you're busy and it's, it's all the same stuff that kind of stuff we just don't we just don't respond and when we have entertained it, when we've said, okay, all right, fine, we'll bite, what we usually get is we get a thin content article, it's about 500 words on a topic that really should be 1,500 words, doesn't really answer key questions that our readers would have, it regurgitates old information, and it's written, and again, I want to be careful how I say this, because I have respect for the content marketing field, but it's written very quickly. Yeah, without thought. Yes, it's written in a rush. It's not written like a journalist would write it. And it's not written in, in a way that our readers are accustomed to. There's a lot of information missing. And it's usually generic articles. So it might be something like, hey, we want to write an article on ways to get your car ready for winter. Okay, cool. That's something that we would feature on our site. And that's something that our readers would genuinely be interested in. But when I take a look at it, and I take a look at it because I've been a service advisor, and later, you know, I I, I ran, you know, I helped run a service department. I, I was I was a manager of our Express Lube side of, of our at the dealership at Luxury Auto Mall. So I've been a service advisor. I, I was managing our Express Lube where we were changing oil and, and, and 
rotating tires and, and changing out fluids. So I, I have some thoughts on how to get a car ready for the wintertime. Like I have some thoughts from my professional background of how to take care of your car. And we have shared that with readers and, and we're happy to do that. And I get these articles written by people and I'm like, you're missing so many things. You're missing so many elements. And, you know, your elements aren't exactly factual. Like you have to make like, and here's as an example, if they say something like changing fluids, right? Well, they don't take into account that today's cars have electronic power steering. It's not a hydraulic system. There's not power steering fluid anymore, but older cars would still have power steering fluid. That's something that we would want to make a distinction for, for our readers, right? We would want to make that distinction. And so when we get articles pitched to us, there's no mention of little things like that. And those little things are incredibly important because if somebody says, oh, okay, great. Yeah. You know, it's important to get my fluids changed. You know, it's important to have fluid maintenance and things like that. Yeah. You know, if, if they have an electronic system on their car, they don't need to worry about power steering. That's something we would want to tell a reader that, you know, that's something we would want to. And I can tell it's written by somebody who just did a quick Google search and not somebody who's actually been in the business and not somebody who's ever been around a car. And that's really the issue that I think I have with it. So these articles that come across when we've entertained them, we're like, this is terrible. Like we could do this ourselves and it would be way better. Again, I, I, I want to I wanna clarify that. So my advice would be to, to digital marketers and things like that is that give us something that we can use. Give us something compelling that we haven't thought of. Make sure that when you send us a final draft that you've got third party sources cited, you know, reliable, credible sources and studies. It would be nice if you had one and internal link to an automobile blog article, that would be nice because internal linking does boost SEO. Don't leave any unanswered questions. So if you say something like other studies mention, well, mention those studies, you know, our readers would want to know that. So I would say, give us something compelling that we haven't thought of, or give me as an editor, an article that I could do, but I don't have time to do. So in other words, summer is coming up, right? A great article, uh, how, how to get your car ready for summer. Is there anything our readers should pay attention to? That's a common question that somebody would type into Google. How do I get my car ready for summer? Is there is there something I have to do? Is there something I, you know, because this is my only car and I gotta make it last. That's an article I can write fairly quickly, but that would take me some time. And when I'm managing our day-to-day -day of our publication, like I just don't have time to sit down and do that. If it's a more comprehensive article, say like it's a study on something. So it's a study on buying habits. It's a study on traffic congestion. It's a study on car ownership. I absolutely want to have that on Automoblog. And normally I'd be the guy to write that. But again, with managing our day-to-day, and still trying to have a personal life, it's hard for me to find time to sit down and write that. If I do, I've got to do the research. I probably will sit down on a Saturday and do it. So I'll spend seven to eight hours and do it and sleep on it and then publish it. And then that's if I don't have to travel or I get, you know, have a meeting or, and you realize it's been three weeks and I haven't, I ha still haven't finished this article yet. If digital marketers and PR people could understand, if you could give me a highly valuable article like that, that would take me three weeks to a month to write, and you can turn it around in half the time. And it has credible third-party sources. It's written like a journalist. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to put a link to your infographic. I'm happy to give you a, a link back to whatever source you want, because that is so beneficial and so helpful to me. So that's what ultimately we look for. You'll go through We don't do very many guest posts. We don't, because we just don't find, you know, and, and maybe, maybe my standards as an editor are are too high, but I kind of feel like we have also no, that, 
that's probably not true. <laughs> you probably do need to have your standards be too high or else your blog would be crap not to right. be so blunt, but kind of reality. The last thing on this I'll say, as a publication, we are not interested in placing links for money. You would think that that type of SEO tactic, I, I don't know why people still subscribe to that and why they think that's a good idea. It's not. <laughs> and it, it will it will assure that you end up in our trash bin in our email. To me, the worst offender is, you know, hey, I was reading this article. I also have a resource, which usually they don't. I mean, they say they have a resource, but it's not credible. You can usually go through and find that it was haphazardly put together, but they want to give us money to insert a link into an article that was already published. And that's a bad idea. I do not know why that has prevailed. It sounds to me like that's kind of a tactic called guest posting that Jackie and I are very familiar with when we started, when we started our careers and it's evolved, right? Like Google has gotten smarter at, you know, journalism needs to be of higher quality now. And there is a bar for that. And guest posting, I think those are the two main reasons why guest posting shouldn't really be a thing anymore. Um, I get it when I get it for like thought leadership style content. So yeah. if you have a CEO of a company or a CFO or anything like that, who um, wants to write content around the related to the industry that they're in and, you know, be that thought leader sharing new ideas totally makes sense and it speaks yeah and they're a real expert i mean yeah Yeah. real expert doesn't have a sales undertone it's a very helpful informative informative article yeah the thought yeah yeah Yeah. like stuff that as an expert only you can write you know like Mm -hmm. maybe you have a level of expertise above the even a journalist covering yes Yes. you know so richard reyna who came to us through car id Right. So Car ID is a huge online marketplace for car parts and, and they've since expanded. So they have they have the same platform, but for campers and for boats and for RVs, it, it's it's really incredible. But Fish Tank Marketing and PR out of New York, New York, Aaron Haddon manages that account. Aaron is one of those PR and marketing pros that I talk about who's just fantastic to work with. Aaron and I are always in contact by email or we're in contact over the phone. And the idea behind Richard writing for us uh, one, he's fantastic and he's in, he's incredibly knowledgeable. Um, but Richard writes like a car guy. There's no th- th- there's th- there's nothing that points back to Car ID other than in his bio. And Aaron has been under the impression, and Car ID is under the impression, and Fish Tank Marketing and PR as a whole is under an impression that you know Richard is an expert when it comes to automotive, and he's he's really an expert in what is happening with collector cars the collector car market, and what those trends are. And to a section of our readership, that's very important because there's a section of our readership that grew up with muscle cars, with grew, that grew up with those collectible, collectible cars. And there's a younger section of our readership that now you're starting to see the cars in Fast and Furious, right? Those cars are becoming now, to anybody who's in their late 30s, early 40s, those are becoming collector cars today. And so Richard is very well versed on that collector car market. And so he lends to us an incredible perspective. That's the whole point is for him to be a thought leader. And so the way we look at it on our platform is, is we say it just like this. We say, look, Richard is a product training director for Car ID, but he is also an automoblog contributor. And he is our resident expert when it comes to the classic car market, what trends are going on, what's happening at the auction. 
and he's an expert on the component level. So mm-hmm. in other words, what are some practical modifications that I could do to you know, either boost the curb appeal of my car or boost the performance of my car? Richard is your guy. He's the thought leader. He's the expert. So because that relationship with Fish Tank Marketing and PR, because that fish tank, that, that relationship between Fish Tank and Automoblog is so well-oiled, We've kind of blurred the lines and we have just said, look, Richard is part of the family. You know, we don't look at Richard as a guest author. You know, Mm -hmm. Richard is on our about page and he is he is part of the family, like it or not. Aaron has made it very clear that they just want to be out in front of an audience to establish Richard as a thought leader. And mm-hmm. and that's the kind of relationship we crave. I don't, as an editor, guest posts are fine. And, and we do get some, we have gotten some really good one-off guest posts, but I like more the relational aspect of it. I want to be in contact with that marketing and PR person Whoever your guest author is, I would rather they write, you know, six to seven articles for us a year and we put them as part of a regular contributor. That means more to me as an editor than a bunch of one-off guest posts. On that, related to that, um, let's say we have a PR, for all the PR listeners out there who maybe they have a client that could be a thought leader. Maybe they're an expert in their field. Um, And then for this example, let's say they're a car engineer. Um, What would be the best way to approach wanting to work with you and Autoblog? Let's say they have the capacity to contribute throughout the year multiple articles. What does the general pitch look like? I would say very, very personal. If it's if it's not an automated email, I will read it. I do read it. And and here's the thing. For me, don't feel like you have to stage a show. I get it. You're a working professional. You have family. You got other stuff going on. You're tired. You're I, I totally get it because because I'm I'm that way too. But a simple thing of, you know, hey Carl, I wanted to just gauge your interest on something, you know, but but don't lead with the typical automated email stuff and say, I wanted to read reach out to you about such and such. Who, whoever the client is, who, who, whoever the client was, do not go into the tirade of, we have a high quality guest post for your audience and we can send you over some content ideas and it'll be high quality, relevant and free of spammy links. If you do that, I'm going to delete it. But just talk to me like a real person. Just talk to me like a real person. Hey, Carl, we are doing some outreach. We have this client who's an engineer. We have this client who's a product development person. We have this client who we think is an expert. Can you tell us what the process is for going through this? Can we set up a time to talk over the phone? Can, can we can we email more a, about this? You don't have to inflate my ego. You don't have to tell me the site is great. In fact, I, I would rather you didn't. I, I, I would honestly rather you didn't say how awesome Autumn Blog was. I, I would rather you not do that. Because if you do that, my suspicions are up. But just come to us as just a regular person. On our about section, on our site, if you scroll over, there is submission guidelines and we put our submission guidelines on there. That's the only thing I ask is is, is is that you follow that. If you're not sure as to, you know, what articles that we would want or or, or if, if you're not sure, if you don't want to do a generic pitch, just talk to me like a real person. Send me an email like a real person. I more than likely am probably going to respond to you. And then after that, I would prefer that we have a phone call. I think I think email is great, but we can get a lot more done over the phone. It may sound old fashioned, so I, I'm not I would say let's schedule a phone call. But in and even the, you know, we've identified your site as a great fit. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. You know, just just say something like we are in the automotive business. We're in the automotive sector. We're looking for partners. We're looking for people to work with. 
is there any chance we could work with you? I, that's the kind of stuff for me. That kind of stuff's music to my ears. Do you appreciate um, maybe them throwing out at least a couple story ideas in the beginning to get your wheels turning? Or do you prefer they come as a blank slate? That really depends. We have the submission guidelines on our site. If you're coming through the site, if you're coming through that content form, follow that 100%. Give us some story ideas you know, and, and we'll get back to you and we'll say, okay, we think we're interested in, in this one. So if you're going through the content, if you're going through the link on the site, if you've met me through another venue, if you have my email through another means or contact information, I would rather you just be honest and say, hey, we're, we're just not sure if there's opportunity rather than giving me, hey, we're going to talk about Leasing versus financing. That's an important topic, but it's been done. We already have articles on our site. It's not that we're not interested. It's just that we're, we are looking for something new. And if it's something older like that, it, it better be incredible and have new information in it. But if it's somebody that you're representing and you want to do something different and you don't want to do the same old content stuff and this company, whoever they are, Maybe they do have a cool take on things. Maybe they're developing a new technology. Maybe they have some thoughts that have not been communicated through the automotive industry. I'd rather you just do that. I'd rather you say, look, we're throwing around some content ideas. Here's what the company is doing. After taking a look at your site, we're just curious if there's any opportunity. That's when we'll jump on the phone and start to flesh it out. And then as an editor, I can start saying, okay, I think this might work, this might work. So sometimes the blank slate is 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 really best, but every editor is gonna be different. I've been dying to say this the whole episode, but so far what I've learned from you is that automated vehicles are good and automated emails are bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I would 100% agree with that. Love this. I love this conversation. Um, so I, I want to make sure that you, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want PR people to know? It sounds like, you know, you've given us a lot of your really important tips that you frequently face, I guess you could say, when it comes to your inbox, when it comes to, you know, connecting with you at conferences and how you appreciate collaborating in an authentic way with PR people. What else is there that you want us to know? There is one thing to keep in mind. This applies to any industry. There's communication knowledge and then there's knowledge of the business. And so let me use an example of that. I may be a fairly proficient writer. I may be a fairly proficient communicator. But if you were to put me as editor of a cooking publication or a travel publication, I might actually be terrible in that role because I don't understand the food industry. I don't understand the travel and leisure industry. I might be a proficient communicator and a proficient writer, uh, but running a blog on medical news and medical technology Sure. I mean, I would be able to feel my way around because, you know, as an editor, I would have some natural skills, but I don't understand that industry. And I think this is the challenge for PR and marketing professionals who represent many different industries because you don't have an engineering degree. You're not a doctor. You don't have an accounting degree or, or, or you know, you, you don't have a sports medicine degree or whatever firm you're representing. So you have to go in with marketing 
marketing or communications or whatever your background is, and you have to mold and adapt that. You have to you have to take the industry jargon and you have to take you know, you have to take all of that and you have to boil that down and make that a universal message that the average consumer, the average reader, can understand. But like those other industries, automotive is one of those things where you have to have knowledge of the business. You absolutely have to. So if you have an automotive client, you need to read and research as much about the automotive industry as possible. You have to have your, so you have your communication knowledge, right? Which you're good at. That's what you went to school for. That's what your career is. You have the marketing and communication knowledge, but you need your automotive knowledge now bring up to par to match. And that's the disconnect where it's, yes, your communication is good, but you're missing the automotive component because even though you're well communicated, that's just not how it works in the automotive business. There's 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 a number of great books for PR professionals that I think just off the, the cusp is uh, American Icon, uh, which was written by Bryce Hoffman. He was he wrote for the Detroit News and the Wall Street Journal. He was on the Ford beat. American Icon is the story of Alan Mulally coming to Ford Motor Company and how Bill Ford at the time worked actively to recruit Alan Mulally from Boeing. And it tells the story of Ford, who was really on the cusp of folding. They were right on the edge. And Alan Mulally came in and overhauled that entire company. But he had a lot of resistance from within. And Bryce Hoffman calls it a toxic culture. And you read that book and it gives you an understanding of how automakers work, of how the business works. There's another one. Bob Lutz wrote it, former vice chairman of General Motors, and he was a BMW executive. It's called Car Guys versus Bean Counters. This gives a perspective on what General Motors was going through during the bankruptcy now 10, 11 years ago. Um, Bob Lutz was asked to come back to GM and to help restore the company to prominence. And Bob Lutz makes a case that we made the automotive business too complicated. The engineers who were car people, for some reason, it got away from them and it ended up in the hands of the accountants and no offense to accountants, but they cut corners. And so what you had, <laughs> what you had was a run of GM vehicles that lacked in quality and Toyota and Honda over the years capitalized on that and GM lost market share. And then when gas went to four or $5 a gallon, Everybody traded in their SUVs and bought small cars. And those two books, Car Guys versus Bean Counters and American Icon, I would recommend any PR professional read if they have an automotive client for their own knowledge to understand that the automotive business is a big entity. Sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense. Sometimes it, and sometimes it's a, it's a crazy ent entity, but it's a very precise entity. Anything PR professionals can do to take their automotive knowledge and have that equal their communication knowledge, I think they'll do a lot better approaching automotive editors and automotive journalists and things like that. And that holds true for any industry. And I'm sure good PR professionals already do this, but if you have a client who does medical imaging technology, read as much as you can about medical imaging and, and read books on, on the subject. And the way to be a better writer is to read. And I think that that's true for marketing and PR professionals as well. That You get better if you read. But my number one thing would be understand the automotive business. Communicate in a way that shows you have a knowledge of the automotive business and you have a knowledge of what car consumers are looking for, what they're concerned about, and then you also have some semblance of an idea 
of what the enthusiast thinks and cares about. Love Brilliant. That. Me too. It's yeah. Such a really good advice. Like I haven't it heard is. that before and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You have to be the representative too, in a way. So I'm so happy you mentioned that. We'll definitely link to the, to those books that you mentioned as well. Thank you so much, Carl. We really appreciate this. This yeah. I know is going to be super valuable, especially for PRs in the automotive industry. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram.